the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. It's Friday. It means we've made it through another week. May the Lord bless you as you go to church. For many of us, it will be our communion Sunday service, and we always look forward to that. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand Up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever's on your heart, just pick up the phone and dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app and as I remind you every day if you're driving in your car the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app one button the call now banner at the top of the screen and everything else will be hands free you'll be connected directly to our studio producer hey we'd love to end the week um, with some phone calls today. Uh, tonight here at Calvary Chapel, Pastor Ken is going to be teaching out of the Gospel of John. He's going to be talking about Jesus' anger, his righteous anger, uh, when at the beginning of his ministry he overturns the tables of the money changers. So that's tonight here at Calvary Chapel. Uh, every Saturday morning we have prayer here at 9.30 to 10.30. And then uh, on Sunday, of course, our communion Sunday, I'm going to be back in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 25. We'd love to see you. If not, you can watch it all live stream at calvarysa.com. Well, let's get to some questions that have been sent in while we await your phone calls. The first one is from Ola. Oh, Ola, it's so good to hear from you again. Uh, Happy New Year, Pastor Ron. This is Ola. Hope you and Mama Paula and the entire family is doing great. I have a ministry as a ministry on Instagram and has started a one hour praying in tongues session for cup for a couple of days now. What are your thoughts on this? I pray in tongues, but it's never been scheduled and it doesn't happen every time I pray. I need your guidance in this matter, sir. Ola, as I said, it's wonderful to hear from you and because we love you so much. We haven't seen you for so very, very long. Uh, I'm going to protect you. Just don't pay any attention to this guy on Instagram. Um, a ministry on Instagram in and of itself. If it's not just teaching the Bible, uh, and of course that's not what happens typically on Instagram, but now to have a speaking in tongues or praying in tongues session, uh, that's just nonsense and uh, there's just no value in it all. So please don't get trapped into these kinds of things. Uh, you rightly say you pray in tongues. I also have the gift of tongues. Um, but we don't schedule it. We just, as the Spirit leads, uh, and certainly it doesn't happen all the time, Paul says, 
Um, uh, he prays in tongues. He would that we all pray in tongues more than him. But yet he says he'd rather speak thousands of words uh, in tongues or rather speak five words in, in, in a language he can understand than thousands of words in prayers. So so my guidance Ola, is to avoid this. Uh, Paula, if you heard the program yesterday, she is doing great and we miss you. Thank you very, very much for uh, staying in touch. I appreciate it very, very much. Here is a question. This one is from Anonymous. Hello, Pastor. Is it all right if I listen to Joel Joel Osteen? I've been told he's a false teacher, but I find him very encouraging. Um, Whoever told you he's a false teacher is right. He is a false teacher. It's not okay to listen to him. And the reason you find him encouraging is because he's not teaching the Bible at all. He's just telling you how great you are and how wonderful you are and how much God loves you and wants you to have your best life now. Uh, there, there's just nothing that comes out of his mouth that, that isn't heretical. So avoid him like the plague, Anonymous. This is not someone that you want to listen to. You will never hear him talk about sin or righteousness. You will never hear him talk about getting right with God or the necessity of getting right with God. You will never hear him warning against living a lifestyle that is contrary to the Word of God. Uh, All he's going to tell you is good stuff. Itching ears. They want him scratched. And that's why he's so popular, because he tells people what they want to hear. And he is, uh, his ministry literally ought to have a skull and crossbones on it. So, uh, again, that's, you've been listening to him. I don't know how long you've been listening to me. But certainly you do not want to listen to Joel Osteen at all. Uh, You will not be directed to the Lord. There is no power of the Holy Spirit in his ministry at all. Well, on that good news, let's go to the next question. This is also anonymous. Uh, If God's chosen people say that Jesus wasn't the Messiah, then why do Christians claim he is? The Jews know their God and their laws more than any of us. Well, the problem, anonymous, is that they don't know their God. Uh, they didn't know or recognize the time of his visitation. They rejected him and as a result were thrown into uh, a life filled with cursings, not blessings. I did a Bible study Wednesday night on, on the choices we make. And, you know, all of the, the history of Israel, history from our perspective, but but when um, God was speaking to Moses, it was their future. Their future could have been way different than it was but they made the wrong choices. Now, the Apostle Paul says that they don't um, understand because there is a veil covering their heart uh, as part of the consequence of rejecting Jesus Christ when he was here. He came to his own, the Bible says, but his own received him not. And the reality is that until that veil is removed, and the only way that veil is removed is, is for them to turn toward Jesus Christ, and then the light will come. So, Jesus proved who he was. He said he was God. He proved it. They killed him, and he didn't stay dead. Um, He said he would rise from the dead in three days. He did. And they still chose not to believe. So your your premise, well, they're Jews. They should know. No, they missed their Messiah. You know, there's a a talk show radio host named uh, Dennis Prager. I think he's very, very well known. Uh, A conservative a uh, very politically oriented talk show host. He's on a uh, local radio station. In fact, a sister station to to uh, our station here. Um, uh, uh, and again, he's got a big following and uh, is a good guy. Um, but he is an observant Jew. And he was asked one time, and I heard this with my own ears, so this isn't second-hand information. He was asked one time, he said, well, if when the Messiah comes, because as you know, Jews are looking for the Messiah still to come. When the Messiah comes, is there any question you'd want to ask him? And he said, of course, instantly, with no hesitation, he said. And the question was, have you been here before? Now, see, that approach, with that question ringing around in your mind, it's incumbent upon everybody, Jew or Gentile, it's incumbent upon everybody to find out if what they believe is true. And the evidence for Jesus being the the Messiah, the one that they missed, is so overwhelming that you almost have to want to miss it or be blinded spiritually so you can't. And that's the case with Jews today. It's interesting to me that in 
the book of Zechariah says when Jesus returns to the earth and destroys his enemies, one-third of the Jews that are living there are going to recognize that he was the one. Where did you get these wounds? And Jesus will answer, I got these wounds in the house of my friends. And um, one-third will recognize that he was the Christ and he was crucified and we missed him. And they will weep and they will mourn, but at the same time they will receive him with great joy. It also says in Zechariah chapters 12 and 14, when you combine them, that two-thirds of the Jews living at the time are still going to be blinded to the reality. They're going to see him in the sky. He's going to destroy his enemies, and they're still going to be blinded. So uh, your your logic is faulty. Um, Jesus claimed to be God. As I told you, he proved that he was um, Jews, just like Gentiles, have to make the decision of their own free will to accept Jesus Christ. 340-9585, here is a question from Earl. Uh, Hello, Pastor Earl. Thank you for your church and your teachings. Well, Earl, I'm grateful. Thank you for for being so kind. Uh, And then he says this, and this is very nice. Uh, For me personally, this is a wonderful compliment. He says, it, our church, reminds me of the old school Calvary Chapel way. As I get older, I worry about the state of Calvary because a lot of the leaders and my personal heroes are also getting older as well. That includes me, Earl. Uh, What do you think the future is for Calvary Chapel? To be honest, I don't know many new or younger teachers or leaders. I used to know every Calvary preacher, and it just doesn't feel the same. Earl, as you know, Pastor Chuck, uh, the founder of Calvary Chapel, went to be with the Lord uh, 10 years ago or so, and and uh, and things change. He was the founding pastor. Uh, he's the one who set down what you described rightly as the Calvary Chapel way, an emphasis on teaching the word, uh, verse by verse, uh, expositional teaching of the scriptures, uh, book by book, not skipping around, not teaching topical messages, those kind of things. Um, and, and, you know, that's the way to grow. That's the way to, to put your church on a solid foundation. Just the word, the word, the word. And that's what Chuck left us. That's the legacy. When he went to be with Jesus, uh, a bunch of the Calvary chapels decided that they wanted to do it like other churches do. And they sort of got away from their roots. And, and that's caused a bit of a split or a division in the Calvary Chapel movement. Now, the, the, the portion of the Calvary Chapel movement that we are still with is uh, the Calvary Chapel Association. And we are the ones who say, let's just follow the example that, that Pastor Chuck left us. And so that's what we do. And for you to say that, uh, that uh, we remind you of old school Calvary is a wonderful compliment. Now, the future for Calvary Chapel, I think those of us who are teaching the Word, God is going to continue to use us. He's going to continue to do marvelous things. I can tell you, Earl, for sure that the future of Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, remember, I said I am one of those leaders who uh, is getting older. Uh, and we've got uh, um, my replacement warming up at the bullpen. In fact, Pastor Ken is going to be teaching tonight here uh, on our Friday night study. And um, the the reality is, is that he's going to keep doing what I've trained him to do. Uh, that's what God's asked us to do. And one of the things that I think we need to remember always as pastors is that the church is not ours to do with as we want. Uh, the, the, the model for church was given to us in the book of Acts, chapter 2, beginning in the 42nd verse. And that is the, the way that the church was established That's the apostolic method of doing church. And there's no way to improve upon that. And yet, because there are other people doing different things, uh, there's a lot of Calvary chapels that that have lost their way. So uh, I, I think the future is up to each church. We get to make those choices. And I can promise you, Earl, that Calvary Chapel of San Antonio is going to be doing the same thing that we've been doing now for nearly 29 years and nothing is going to change. Um, We're the servants. Um, Jesus is the head of the church. He's the one that gives us direction, so that's what we're going to do. Our ministry, Earl, as as you may know, I don't know uh, who you are or if you've actually been able to visit us in person, but our ministry is a little bit unique because God has asked us to do 
everything that we do for free, uh, free school, free medical clinic, a doctor's office, um, a free house for uh, women who are having some trouble in their lives or trying to get adjusted to life, a place where they can be discipled and, and uh, be given shelter and protection at the same time. Uh, we're in free Bible college. We're getting ready to move into a new building uh, sometime next summer, we hope by July. Actually, let me rephrase it. It has to be by July because we're going to be out of here um, at the end of July. Uh, and, and so we're just going to do what we are doing here on a bigger scale because this this building has a bunch more room. And I think it's really important. Uh, the thing that you did that got you where you are is the thing you need to keep doing when you get there. And, and we're not looking to change. We're not looking to improve anything. And uh, some of my friends... In fact, even some of the churches that we've sent out and planted to other parts of this country, um, they've they've looked for different ways to do things, maybe get a little bit more results or more people more quickly. And I think chasing uh, attendance is always a dangerous thing. So, Earl, again, I, I, I can't tell you how much that compliment means to me that we remind you of the old school Calvary Chapel way because that is exactly what we're supposed to do. Here is a question from Kent. He says, if a person is struggling with habitual sin, is it okay for them to serve in church? Um, Kent, it depends what you mean by struggling. You know, when somebody's struggling, I'd rather somebody be struggling than just give in to it, of course. You, you understand that. But if somebody has a sin and they keep going back, you know, the dog returning to its vomit theory, if somebody's doing that, no, if they're living in willful sin, and, and that means if this sin is plaguing you and you keep finding yourself there, then, then you're not right with God. You've not um, uh, surrendered to the power of the Holy Spirit. You've not learned yet to say no. You've not understood that, in fact, you have victory over that sin and the struggle can end. Now, the temptations won't end. And I want to make a, a distinction between the temptations, which are always with us. The, 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 the devil, the world, my stinking flesh, we're always tempted to do rotten things. But see, we've also been promised victory over those things, which means that none of us have to sin. And so if somebody is struggling with the same sin year after year after year, then there's no victory in their life, and, and they ought not then to be serving. What they ought to do is to get right with God, get involved in their church and say, okay, tell me uh, how, how I can get some help here, how, can under, how I can understand um, that, that I've got victory over the sin uh, because I've never experienced victory over the sin, and help me to grow in faith. And then, of course, can, then, then people can serve. But when people keep running back, and, and, and this is just one pastor's heart here, but I have people year after year, they run back to their sin, and they know they're going to keep doing it. Now, when they're done, they hate it. They feel awful. But they keep running back to it. And they know they're going to do it. It's almost as though they plan it, and they just rationalize somehow from sin to sin. They realize that, that well, you know, God understands. I tried to resist it, and I just couldn't. Uh, and, and they really don't understand what Christ has accomplished on the cross for them. So no, they ought not to serve while they're living in willful sin. And, and though you hate it, it is willful still. And there has to be a consequence. And God says, look, just trust him. Just trust him. Kent, let me give you a suggestion. Here at our church, our theme uh, for, for Calvary Chapel San Antonio has been forever just be with Jesus. And whatever this habitual sin is, the next time you're tempted to give in to it, remember that before you say yes to that sin, you've got to send Jesus away. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. Thank you for loving me. But right now I'm going to do something so foul, so evil, that you have to leave now. And you're making that choice to run Jesus out of the room so that you can indulge your flesh. And you've made a decision. You're going to run to your flesh and run away from Jesus. Be like Joseph who, Joseph, who 
when he was tempted, he ran away. People say, well, I'm not that strong. Joseph didn't run away because he was strong. He ran away because he was weak and he knew it. And so he knew that the only way to honor God was to run away from that scene of the temptation. And that's what we need to do. Every time you're tempted, whatever the sin is, you can open your Bible. You can take a walk with Jesus. You can cry out asking him for help. But you've got to run away. Here's the thing that we've got to be honest enough to admit. The truth is when we give in to that sin that we're struggling with, we do it because we want to. Because we like it. Again, we hate it when we're done. The guilt comes in and then the devil, who is part of the temptation, will will heap all kinds of condemnation on you. But the reality is we do it because we want to. Well, you know, he died for my sins and I know I'm saved. So if I give in, Romans chapter 6, it begins, what shall we say then? Because we're saved by grace, that's the context. Shall we go on sinning? And I like especially the King James and the New King James translation better because it says, God forbid. The NIV says, by no means. Because we're saved by grace, our sins are covered. Shall we go on sinning? God forbids it, Kent. If you'll understand that, then it'll give you a new outlook on your sin, your struggle with sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Memorize it, Kent, and believe it. Here's a question from Davis. Why did God kill Uzziah? I lost my question here. Hold on. Why did God kill Uzziah if they were all trying to do the right thing by bringing the ark back? Davis, this um, uh, episode in Israel's history troubles people. And God's making a very, very important statement here. Uh, We can do all kinds of things with the right heart, with the right intention. But if we do it the wrong way, if we don't do it God's way, then we're, we're in rebellion against God. Now, Israel knew all they had to do was open the word. Now, remember, King David is the responsible party. He's the one who's leading. But, but the truth is they've got Levites. They've got prophets. And they knew exactly how to transport the ark. And they did it carelessly. Now, the application for you and for me, Davis, is that, that there are people who really are trying to do something good, but they don't want to do it God's way. They do it their own way. I've had actually people say, well, if I want to do what God wants me to do, why won't he let me do it my way? Because his way is the only way. I tease with our church all the time. said, so, you know, there's a whole bunch of streets all over San Antonio named after Jesus. They're called One Way. And to, to honor God, we've got to do things on his terms. We don't get to compromise. We don't get to improvise. We don't get to come up with a better idea or, or think that maybe we can get something accomplished more quickly. We've got to do things God's way. And the Ark of the Covenant to Old Testament Israel represented what the Spirit in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory is to us. It represents the presence of God. And God is holy, and they forgot that God is holy. And so when he reached out, they knew how to carry the ark, and they didn't do it. Instead of doing it the prescribed way, remember they had the word. They did it in a way, just sort of casually, while they were celebrating. The problem is, God is holy, and Uzziah paid the price for it. So, I'm sorry, not Uzziah, Uzzah paid the price for it, and he died. David was angry, and and God uh, rebuked him, and and, uh, they found out, uh, they went back to the Word, found out, and they transported. That's the occasion of David dancing on his way back to Jerusalem with the pure joy of once again having the presence of God. So, Davis, I hope that answers your question. One of the things that we always need to remember as Christians is that intent is not enough. I have Christians all the time who say, well, I didn't mean it. God knows my heart. Well, if, if your heart is not to obey God, then the problem is that he knows your heart. You know, in connection with the question that Earl just sent in a moment ago, um, 
redo church the way God told us to do it because he's the one in charge. And and just because I'm the pastor here doesn't mean that I can improvise or I can I can figure out a different way to do it, a way that's more acceptable to me or acceptable to other people. In our lives as Christians, we are servants reporting for duty every day. It doesn't matter whether it's me as a pastor or somebody who comes to Calvary Chapel, our responsibility is to live our lives before God in such a way that he is honored, that he alone is honored. And the way we do that is to be obedient. God has never once asked my opinion. He's never once asked me what I thought. What God does is give direction, and then I make the choice whether I'm going to follow that direction. If I follow that direction, then I'm going to be blessed. If I don't follow the direction, then there's going to be severe consequences. And that's the one thing that we have to remember. We cannot do things our way, even when our way seems right to us. Davis remembered this. The book of Judges is all about one of the lowest times in Israel's history. And the whole book of Judges is characterized with this statement. They did what seemed right in their own eyes. When we do what seems right to us, there's going to be difficulty, a lot of pain. Hey, we got 30 minutes left in the week. We love your calls, 340-9585 or toll-free, 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to our final half hour of the week 340-9585 here's a question from raquel hi pastor ron i was just curious as to who do you listen to to get fed the word um, Raquel, I don't, I, I almost said I don't li- really listen to anybody. Uh, I, I actually go to sleep with an earplug in my ear, um, listening to, um, one of the two Christian stations, KSLR or, or, or KDRY here in town. And so I'm listening just to whomever is on the radio. It sort of helps me shut my brain off. And um, um, when I do that, I can I can kind of go to sleep. Uh, but if I wake in the middle of the night, I put it back in. And and uh, so I'm, I'm always listening to the Word. And I don't just listen to people that I like. Uh, I, I, I like to exercise discernment as well. Having said that, there are people that I do enjoy listening to. Some of them are friends of mine who are Calvary chapels, a, a guy named Gary Hamrick uh, out of Virginia, um, just in sort of in the shadows of the, of the nation's capital. Uh, I really enjoy listening to Gary Hamrick. He is uh, rock solid. Um, um, I, I, I listen to Tony Evans. Uh, I, I enjoy his ministry. I enjoy the integrity uh, that, that his ministry represents. Um, 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 Adrian Rogers, who is with the Lord uh, now. I love listening to him. Unfortunately, he was on one of our stations here in town, and they they got off the station, so I don't get to hear him as much anymore. But he's really, really good. But I don't spend a lot of time listening. Now, Paula spends a lot of time reading to me. Obviously, I spend a lot of time in the Word. And uh, one of the things, Raquel, and, and I recommend this for everybody, the best way to study the Bible is to study it as though you were going to teach it. Even if you're not a Bible teacher, study it as though you are going to teach it. Take notes. What, what would you say? What does this verse say? And what does it mean? And then how can you apply it in your life? And if you'll do that, believe me, you will grow more in the Word than, than in almost anything else that you will do. It is a wonderful, wonderful exercise uh, to help us rightly divide the Word of God. But I, I just don't spend a lot of time. Um, I enjoy a, a local pastor, Rander Draper. 
Um, he and I have become friends. He's just a really good guy. And uh, he, he couldn't be any more different than I am. But at the same time, what a wonderful Bible teacher. And um, again, a lot of integrity in the ministry. So um, I'll pick and choose and uh, I'll listen to somebody and then kind of drift off and listen to somebody else after a few weeks. But uh, I enjoy uh, just being exposed to the word. I, I really enjoy that. So uh, I, that's probably not real satisfying an answer, Raquel. But but really, that's that's what I do. I do three Bible studies a week. And uh, doing three Bible studies a week and this radio show doesn't leave a lot of time to do anything but be in the Word myself. And I, again, I want to emphasize, Paula reads to me. We spend time in the Word together, and we spend time in prayer together. And and uh, I learn more from Paula probably than I do anybody else. She doesn't think she's smart, but she's actually brilliant because she loves Jesus so much. Thank you, Raquel. I appreciate the question. Margarita says, will you explain heaping burning coals on someone's head? It doesn't sound like a godly thing to do. You know, we read that and we think, um, you know, I'm going to get my revenge. I'm going to be nice to him. And it's going to be like I'm, I'm heaping burning coals on someone's head. This is why study really matters. Because to heap burning coals on someone's head was a good thing in the ancient world. Remember, they didn't have stoves or ovens. Um, often they they didn't have fire uh, or furnaces. Uh, they have to work really hard to start a fire. And so the idea is that when you had burning coals, if you gave them to a neighbor and they would carry it in a bowl on their head home, you were giving them access to the heat. And so even though they might have been an enemy, you can do that and you're being kind to them. So it's not an, a, a, a vengeance thing or God's going to get them, but it's really a nice thing. And then your kindness can lead them to repentance or at least lead them to an opportunity for reconciliation. So that's the reference. Uh, in the ancient world, fire was so important. And if it went out, people could be in real trouble. And um, so giving somebody burning coals was a kind thing to do, really a, a, a nice thing to do. So do nice things to people. Be others-oriented, and the Lord will use you, Margarita. Here's a question from India. Not the country, but a person. India says, do you think it is okay for single men and women to study the song of Solomon. Uh, of course it is, okay? It's the Word of God. And yes, single men and women should study it, especially those who desire to have a marriage partner in the future. That is a book that will help them prepare for marriage as much as perhaps any other book uh, in, in our scriptures. So yes, I think it's a really, really good thing. India, just if you are interested on our website, calvaryessay.com, uh, I have a couple of teachings on the Song of Solomon. Uh, and uh, all my stuff is free. My notes are free. Uh, and it's there. And I think it'll give you a, a perspective about what the book is and how we are to use it and the real value of the book. And the real value of the book is simply Jesus. He is the lover. Um, symbolically, he is the lover. He's Solomon. Or, or Solomon represents that love of God. And, and he's trying to convince you in that book just how crazy about you he really is. So, yeah, go ahead and read it, study it, enjoy it. And uh, if our my studies on, on the Song of Solomon can help, that would be great. Bobby. Ooh, I hate when I get this question. Bobby says, will pets be in heaven? Bobby, the answer is no. I wish I could tell you yes, but the answer is no. Pets won't be in heaven because pets don't have a spirit like you do and like I do. So a pet, when a pet lives in this world and then he dies or she dies, then they just simply cease to exist. Now you'd say, well, why won't they be in heaven? A pet, consider it a gift from Jesus. Now, Paul and I, we had a dog for 15 years. Greatest dog in the history of the world. But he won't be in heaven. We used to call him an evangelist dog because every time Paula would be sharing, he'd just sit down and sort of look menacing. He was a great big dog, kind of look menacing, protecting her. But he knew that she was going to be sharing Jesus with people. 
But pets won't be in heaven. God loved you so much, Bobby. And you don't tell me how old you are here, but God loved you so much that he gave you a dog as a gift from heaven, a gift to enjoy. And when that dog's life is over, yes, we will hurt, we will grieve, we will shed tears, but we ought to do so with thanksgiving in our hearts. God, thank you for enriching my life with this pet. And we can be content with that, Bobby. We really can be content knowing that God loved us so much that he allowed that pet to be a part of our lives. Here's a question from Taylor. Uh, Every time on Sunday, the announcer says that the church never lets their needs be known. What does that mean? Um, Taylor, yeah, he does. And, And we do that. Uh, because the Lord has made it clear to us. Now, this is not true of every church. And churches that do let their needs be known, uh, they're not doing anything wrong. But God has made it very clear to us, just Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, that we're never to let our needs be known. In other words, um, I'll give you an example. We're moving into a new building. Um, It's going to cost a lot of money. And I could easily go to the church body and say, you know, it's going to be so expensive and we really need your help and we'd really like you to dig deep and we're going to have a building fund and we'd ask you to give beyond your ability to give and sacrifice. We could do all those things. But God says don't do it, so we don't do it. So we never let someone know um, what our financial needs are. God provides wonderfully for us. Um, we're content to let God do it. And we don't want to, to, to have any kind of a manipulation um, or, or, or we don't want to compel people to give. Uh, we want them to give because they love Jesus and they give with a generous heart in response to everything that God has given to them. And so when we say we never let our needs be known... I don't go up and say, well, we're going to need this much money for this project, or we're going to start a new ministry, so we need you to support this ministry. Uh, our, our our staff um, you know, needs a raise. We, 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 we'd like you to give a little more sacrifice. We never say anything like that. And I can tell you that our church um, has responded beautifully uh, and generously. We don't pass an offering plate. Here at Calvary Chapel, again, churches that do are not doing anything wrong, but this is what God has asked us to do, and God has been faithful, and he's been so faithful, in fact, Taylor, that, um, you know, we don't want to mess with the formula. He's doing just fine. So I hope that answers your question. We just don't um, emphasize money. We teach it when we go the verse-by-verse teaching through the Bible, but we don't emphasize money, and we certainly don't make anybody uh, feel like, well, if I don't give, God's going to be mad at me. That's, um, that's, I think, something that a lot of churches do. That is wrong, if that's the case. So, that's what we do. We're going to keep doing it. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Um, this anonymous question, tough one. Uh, my church is about to do an outreach in partnership with another church. The problem is that the other church is a prosperity church, and I'm un- uneasy about joining in with them. Do you have any advice for me? Uh, anonymous, I really don't. I would go to your pastor and share your concerns with them. Um, um, we have had a lot of opportunities to do outreaches with other churches, but doctrine matters a great deal. How can two walk together unless they agree to do so, is what Amos 3.3 says. And, um, you know, when, when, when the other church is a prosperity church, you really don't have anything in common with them. Even their gospel is false. So uh, I understand your uneasiness. Um, I personally would not get involved in ministry with um, churches whose doctrine is so far off. Um, but this is something you're going to have to, to deal with. And I think it's really important that you go to your pastor and give him the opportunity to share his heart. You know, Prosperity Church, we just don't have anything in common. Now, there are people that are saved there. I guess I could say we have Jesus in common. But there's a lot of people that aren't saved sitting in those churches. They're there to get from God rather than to surrender to God and serve him. 
So that's about the best I can do on this. I share your uneasiness, and I think your pastor needs to hear uh, from people in the church who feel like you do or feel the same way that you do. So you do that respectfully. Uh, you do that with humility. Uh, and certainly you don't involve other people. You don't talk to other people. Like, what do you think about this? You just go to your pastor and share your heart with them. And then the response that you're going to get will kind of give you an indication of what choice you should make after the fact. Here is an anonymous question. Um, Pastor, I claim to be a member of your church, but I only watch online. Am I missing out on something? Yeah, you're missing out on the best part. Um, you know, we don't have membership, official membership here at Calvary Chapel. Uh, our standard line is anybody that comes back a second time after listening to me, we consider you family, we consider you part of the church. But, um, you know, you're really not a member of your church if you don't come and you don't serve and you don't fellowship um, you don't interact with other people. That's what church is. To watch online means you're missing out on the very spirit of church. Now, I'm grateful that you're listening. I'm grateful that you're concerned enough to want to to, to, to be taught the Bible. But that's only part of the church experience. God has given you his spirit. The power of the spirit has gifted you to be able to do certain things in the body and you can't do that from home. It's also true that there are people here in the body. Every time the door is open, people in here that you need, just as people need you, there are people that you need. And you can't do that. You can't benefit from that if you stay at home. Now, I don't know why you're staying at home if you are unable to, 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 to travel, if you're unable to uh, leave the house, I get it. Uh, and thank you for watching online. But if you are just being spiritually lazy, if you're just taking the easy way out, you're missing out on everything. The people that need the gifts God has given you are here. Every Sunday and Wednesday and Friday, and we have smaller studies on, on, on Mondays and Saturdays. But you got to be here to be able to minister to people. We're part of a body. We shouldn't be alone. We think we should. Hebrews 10.25 says that we're not to forsake the assembling together of the saints. But we need to be in church. That's part of our identity in Christ. And, and people in this culture who don't think church is necessary, they simply have no understanding at all of what God requires. Worship is a sacrifice. It's not supposed to be easy. It's not supposed to be convenient. So here's what I would ask you. If you consider yourself a member of Calvary Chapel, then get here. You're missing the best part. The best part is not our worship. The best part is not my teaching. The best part is the activity of the Holy Spirit in the lives and, and through the lives of these wonderful people. So I hope that's clear enough. Diane asks, should Christians eat a kosher diet? Only if you want to, Diane. So no, there's nothing beneficial or nothing super spiritual or religious about eating a kosher diet. Eat what you want. Eat healthy. But at the same time, um, the, the idea that we've got to eat a kosher diet because that was the diet God gave his people, the Jews, um, is to miss the point. Um, in the book of Acts, uh, Peter goes up on the rooftop of Simon the Tanner. Uh, he's hungry and he's waiting for, for lunch and God puts him in a trance. He has a vision and a sheet is let down and there's all kinds of unclean animals and the, the voice says, rise, kill and eat, Peter. Peter says, no, Lord, I've not had anything unclean in these in my mouth or, or gone past these lips. And God says, don't call anything unclean that I have declared to be clean. And so doing this, he declares all foods to be clean. Eat healthy, get some exercise, but at the same time, don't think that there is a magic bullet or God is somehow going to be more pleased with you if you eat a kosher diet. It always frustrates me. There's the Daniel diet and the Hallelujah diet. There's all these diets. 
the, the reality is we ought to be eating, feeding on Jesus Christ. He's the one who said, you've got to drink my blood and eat my flesh to be my disciple. And the same thing is true. So um, there's no shoulds. Just do as the Lord leads, but make sure your motives are right. Heather says, do you think pastors are capable counselors or should someone seek a licensed counselor for help? Um, Heather, not all count, not all pastors have the gift to counsel. Um, you know, we know the word we ought to be able to counsel, but but uh, compassion and empathy are, are often lacking, and it's, I'm sad to, to say that. Um, having said that, uh, I think certainly in your church, wherever that is, uh, there are pastors who are gifted to counsel. I always considered counseling just Bible study or Bible teaching um, in a much smaller, confined group. We do a lot of marriage counseling. We do a lot of individual counseling. And we are fully, firmly convinced that all we need is the Word of God. But to seek a licensed counselor, unless that counselor is going to give you Jesus, has no benefit at all. we got a wonderful woman, a young woman, she's young to me, uh, in our church who is a licensed counselor. And I know her heart, man, she is all words. So I have no problem referring people to her in certain circumstances. At the same time, we want people to have access to the pastors. Pastor Ken and I do uh, the bulk of the counseling here, but, but we've got other pastors who are completely capable. Some of their wives and some of our ladies' leadership team uh, they're they're wonderfully gifted counselors, and it's just the word, the word, the word. So it's very important that if you need help, you get it. But let's start with the things of God. Let me also say this. When people are looking at psychology or psychologists or psychiatrists, um, you know, that's the way the world fixes their problems. Um, the problem, we, we need to remember that psychology is antithetical to the word of God. Now, the study of the human mind, that's, that's fine. But remember, the basic tenets of psychology have been established by the fathers of psychology, and all of them were haters of God. We need to know that. How, how could we receive any help from a principle that was established by someone who hated God? So, um, uh, you know, we're not big into psychology. We're not big into trying to figure out um, all the reasons we do the things we're doing. The Bible's pretty clear about those things, Heather. So uh, I think pastors, if gifted by God, and, and I, I, am, I have been given that gift by the Lord, uh, counseling is, is the most difficult thing that we do. There's always a lot of pain. But... Um, that's where I would start. Here's our last question for the day. It's also anonymous. Did Mary have a sin nature? You said Jesus couldn't have a sin nature because Joseph wasn't the father. Is this why God chose Mary? No, um, anonymous. The sin nature was passed from the, the man. Remember, God created Adam, and out of Adam, he created um, Eve. But it was the finger of God that created Adam out of nothing. Mary, I'm sorry, uh, um, Eve was created out of God. So the sin nature was passed through the man. And since there was not a human man uh, who was involved in Jesus' conception, uh, there was no sin nature that was passed. Mary did have a sin nature. Mary did sin. We need only to read her Magnificat. And she confesses that the, 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 this, this son that she's been given uh, is her Savior. Uh, if you're not a sinner, you don't need to be saved. So, yes, Mary was human, just like you're human and I'm human. Uh, and the reality is that she was uh, a person, a sinner. And, um, you know, she, she's she's not the mother of God or the queen of heaven. Um, she is a worshiper of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and in heaven, uh, lots of rewards for Mary. She is a a, a wonderfully blessed woman, but the idea that she didn't sin or didn't have a sin nature is um, is contrary to what the Word teaches. So I hope that answers your question. 
Let me see. I had... Oh, that's, that's the end of that question. Okay, let me see if I have a real, real quick one. Ricky says, Why was John the Baptist said to be greater than all other humans? Well, Jesus said it, and it wasn't that he was greater uh, in the sense that he's a better person or anything like that. He was greater, Jesus said, because he had the best message. You know, all the other prophets, all the other men talked about a, a Christ, a Messiah who was coming. And John's message was repent because he's here. The kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So John the Baptist, though the greatest of all other men, Jesus said, the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. Why? Because we are the ones who receive the fulfillment of all of the promises that John the Baptist made. Very, very important. John the Baptist is the one who said he should increase, I must decrease. And when we do that, Ricky, um, then we're going to see more clearly just how great God is. And John the Baptist certainly was um, a prophet. He was an Old Testament figure, even though he appears in the New Testament. Um, And his message was a message of great urgency. Get ready because he's here. Thank you, Ricky. I appreciate it. Hey, um, Communion Sunday here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. We get to share the Lord's table together as a church body for the very first time in 2024. I pray that your new year is going wonderful. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'll be back on Monday at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.